0: Good morning, Beach Point. There you go. All right, there it is. So you know uh, we're ten days into 2016, and I don't know about you, but I continue to hear all sorts of hullabaloo about resolutions. Right? I can mostly what I hear about is people, you know, the ones people have made, um, the ones people wish they hadn't made, um, and the ones that they've already broken. You know those are the things that I generally tend to hear about most and I, and I have a confession to make this morning uh, I don't make resolutions um, and now it's not that I have any problem with them, like I think you know those are bad, you shouldn't do it you know it, it's pretty much based on i don't like saying that i'm going to do something and then not and if you know anything about me, you know um, <clears throat> that if everyone else is supposed to do it, then I'm definitely not going to do it um, so that's just who I am. You know, however, last week, Pastor Bill, our senior pastor, challenged us to make 2016, to make a resolution to have intentional prayer times every day. And since he's my boss, I did. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, and so I did, though. And this past week, it's been awesome. I've been using my journal, um, of a prayer. It looks like this. Um, hey, by the way, I'm gonna say this again, but a- as you exit the service today, you're gonna get a new journal, and it's different than the one you already have. So make sure you take it. Um, but this, this has been great. I pray every day, but the journal has helped me be more intentional. And to be honest, I, I didn't hit the 100%. I didn't, you know, I didn't get 100%. Uh, on you know, doing every, every morning and evening. But you know, I did pretty good. And, and the reality is, is my times in there have been so good. And I think it's because the challenge that Pastor Bill challenged us to was an intentional year of prayer. And, and I've been a follower for G, of Jesus for 20 years, 10 months, and 25 days as of today. And I have something to tell you. Prayer is really hard for me. I am a doer. I'm constantly doing things, right? And if I'm not doing something physically, my brain is still going 9,000 miles a minute, right? I'm thinking about 15 different things. I have this weird, um, I don't know what it is. It's a curse. I can listen to everyone's conversation at the same time. So when you go to Starbucks, all those people are talking. I can listen to all their conversations independently all at the same time. It's awful, So my brain never shuts down. So prayer for me is really hard. It's hard for me to set time aside. And even if I do set time aside, it's hard for me to say, okay, brain, stop going a thousand miles a minute and focus on one person's voice, you know, and and I don't know what your life of prayer is like, but what I do know is that when I talk to people as a pastor, some of the most common things that I hear are, you know, I, I just don't know how to pray. I hear that a lot. Uh, I, I hear, I feel like I'm talking to myself, or, and, and when I ask what, what I mean by that, what, what I hear all the time is that, like, it's kind of an, an old adage, right? I feel like my prayers just hit the ceiling and then bounce back, you know, or, or I feel like, you know, I hear people say, I'm good at prayer as long as I'm talking. It's just the listening part that I, that I can't do very well, right? Or, or I don't know, and when I ask, like, why is the listening part hard, they're like, well, I don't know if it's my voice. Or if it's somebody else's voice, or if it's indigestion, you know, I, I don't know what it is. You know, I don't, I don't know how to tell. Well, may, maybe one of these describes you. Maybe it doesn't. But the truth is, all of us can grow in our prayer life. And the great news this morning is that Jesus isn't silent in the scriptures and in his teachings about how we can do that. See, in contrast to last week, Pastor Bill walked us through the first part, what you might call uh, part A. Of this morning's teaching, and this, is, and this is part B. In part A, so in contrast to these mindless prayers that you just pray and don't really think about what you're praying uh, in a silly attempt to earn God's listening ear and the people's popularity and favor, um, Jesus instead looks to his disciples and says, no, I have a different model for you to pray. Now, now it's a model, right? It's, it's a how, not a what. Jesus, and by the way, this, this prayer, as you probably have guessed for those of you who've been in church for a while, it's called the Lord's Prayer. Now, he teaches this, uh, scholars tell us that he, he teaches this, this teaching all throughout his three years of ministry. So if you, you know, we're going to read it out of Matthew. There's one in Luke that's different and the reason that they're different is because it's such a regular teaching that Jesus has that, that there's a big version of it. Um, even in the last service, we actually sang a song, um, with the choir that actually mixed both versions. You know, it mixed the Luke account and the Matthew account. It was really cool. Right? And so, uh, so again, this is this model of how we can pray. Now, the difficulty of a scripture like this, the difficulty of reading the Lord's Prayer, is for those of you who have been, like me, who have been in church for a while, or who were raised in the church, is that it's this teaching is so familiar. I remember one time I went to visit my cousin. Uh, she lived in La Habra, and um, and when she, when she lived there, I remember going and, and going into her apartment. It was uh, it was either La Habra or La Mirada, you know, it was kind of a blurry line, uh, and. Uh, and so, you know, there, her apartment was right off the freeway and I found myself having to get louder, which I rarely do, you know, um, which I, re- there's rarely ever a reason for Jason to need to be louder, but I found myself, I'm like, ah, you know, um, and I talk like that. And so, uh, and I'm like, how do you live with this? And she looks at me and she says, live with what? Totally immune to her. She's totally immune to it. She'd become completely numb to the sound of the horns and the freeway. The rumble, the the freeway would even rumble their apartment. Totally, just completely oblivious to this idea. And I think that sometimes when we hear teachings um, from Scripture over and over, it becomes like that. Oh, hear what? We miss it because it's so familiar. Today, the challenge is for those of us who have been in church for a long time, who are raised in the church to say, God, I've heard this, but I need eyes that see and ears that hear, not eyes and ears that are oblivious. That's the challenge for us today. Because today, really, the heart of today uh, is that Jesus teaches us how to pray because he knows this truth. And this is our big idea today. I wanna encourage you to reach in your bulletins, grab your note pages, uh, follow along, take notes. So you remember way more what you write down than what you read or what you hear. And it's this. Our big idea that the sermon in the sentence, the idea that frames and shapes everything. And the first thing I want you to write down is how we pray affects how we live, how we pray affects how we live. And for those of you, um, teachers in the room, I, it, I went back and forth on effects and effects many times. Um, but I'm, I'm committed to it being right. So, uh, You know, the truth is how we interact with God changes how we interact with everyone else, right? It'll change the way we interact with our spouse, with our boyfriend or girlfriend, with our friends, with our kids. It'll change the way we parent. It'll change the way you interact with your 8 to 15. It'll change the way you go about your job. It'll change the way you go about your school day. Because our prayer, as Pastor Bill walked us through this last week, um, and challenge us to this idea of developing prayer as something called a, a keystone habit. You want to think of a keystone habit like a set of dominoes, right? You've set up the dominoes and you flick the first one over and all the rest just fall into place, right? Prayer, developing a life of prayer is the keystone habit to making all the other things that Jesus teaches us fall into place, to live the way he wants us to live. And so I, right from the get-go, before we even jump into the scripture, want to reiterate that challenge. Make 2016, make your resolution to develop prayer as a keystone habit in your life. And so with that being said, I want to uh, encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't own one, you can grab one in front of you. It's on page 970 in those Bibles, or you can just open up your uh, mobile device uh, to your Bible app. If you don't own a Bible and you want one, uh, we encourage you to to grab one out of the, the rack in front of you and take it home as our gift. We've got plenty more. We'll replace it. But as you're turning there, like I said, I, I kind of want to set the stage. Jesus is in the middle of this famous teaching uh, that we talked about last week, the Sermon on the Mount, where he takes his followers away from the crowds and he says, this is how you're going to be different. This is how people are going to know who you follow. And the fir- one of the ways that he talks about is you're going to be different in the way that you pray. Last week we talked about this way not to pray. This idea of saying, look, don't go babbling on to Jesus as though your many words impress him. Don't like pray so eloquently in front of your friends so that your friends think you're an eloquent prayerer. <laughs> yes. Yes. R-r-r-r. And so, you know, today, though, we get the second part of that teaching, and Jesus kind of says, but this is how you'll be different. And so would you read with me in verse 9, beginning, it says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, in this passage, Jesus starts off, he essentially is giving us a model, kind of an archetype of if you're going to build a life of prayer, make sure that you're building the right kind of life. And in verse 6, he he starts off by, by setting this then, so as opposed to the other way, is how you should pray. Remember, it's not what. He's not saying like these words are the magic words. Although there's tons of uh, uh, you know, academic data that, that would point to the fact that Jesus also meant to pray this prayer as well. But we don't have time to go into all that. You're welcome. So, but, but what it is here is he's giving us a model. How, not what. And for most of us who've been in church for a while, um, when you hear that you're supposed to pray a certain way, you push back. There's no wrong way to pray, man. I can pray anywhere. I can pray, I can pray anytime. Those are totally true. But I would also just say, it's also true that Jesus, our master teacher, teaches us a model. We can pray anywhere at any time, but Jesus, who has our best interests at heart, said, I have a method for you that will be beneficial to you. Um, and and so today, what I want to see is I want us to unpack this passage and see how praying like Jesus taught can change not only our prayer times, but also our whole lives as well. And the first thing that we see from this Jesus model, and the next thing I want to challenge you to write down is this: that when you pray like Jesus taught, you start with who you're talking to. When you pray like Jesus taught, you start with who you're talking to. <laughs> I don't want you, now, now this is probably gonna be one of, the, one of the more bold statements that I make in this sermon, but, but it'll be okay. I don't want you to start your prayers with you. Stop starting your prayer, dear God, I need. Stop starting your prayers that way. I know that's difficult, stop starting. See, instead, start with God. Start with God's greatness. How does this, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right. Start by recognizing the truth of who God is. Right. The, the word hallowed, we don't really use that word. We use the other word for it. Um, we use the, the singular form, holy. That's what it means. Holy is your name. You are so different. You are so set apart from me. You are so huge. You, you know, and what this does when you start with, with, with who God is, it kind of helps you put things in perspective, right? When we start with who we're talking to, uh, the, the fact that God is so different, that he's so set apart from us, we begin with God's perfection, which helps us see our imperfection, right? We begin with his wisdom, which helps us be reminded of our foolishness. We begin with his power, which is in contrast to our weakness and his perfect love, which is in contrast to our selfishness, right? God is holy. He's amazing. He's huge. He's all powerful. He's all present. He is king. He is master. He is ruler. And yet he's highly relational, right? Because this is the beauty of God, right? He doesn't just say, dear God, holy is your name. What he says is our father. That's how the prayer begins. It denotes intimacy. One scholar notes regarding Jesus' teaching, and we'll throw it up here on the screen, that Jesus' habit of addressing God as his own father and teaching his disciples to do the same could only appear familiar, meaning like familial, and presumptuous to opponents, personal and gracious to followers. Jesus doesn't want us to come to him, even though he is the omnipotent, omnipresent, all-knowing, you know, all-powerful God. He doesn't want us to start there. The very, before we get to that, he wants us to say, hey, dad, hey, dad, I, I, I need to talk to you, dad. Can we, can we talk, dad? Starts there. See, when we see the words, our Father, who is in heaven, we see those words, Father, and heaven together, what it teaches us is both of God's closeness and of his transcendence, how he's so much bigger than anything we could ask or imagine. It will affect everything when God is put in God's place. And I don't mean by you putting God in his place. I mean, you recognizing where God's place actually is in your life. See, think of it this way, right? If you walk into a room, and uh, and the room's pretty scary, but um, there's another person in the room who happens to be the biggest, baddest, most awesome, toughest person in the room, you probably feel a little safer. When and you know that if you know that that guy is your friend, if you know that that guy. And you are good. You probably feel a little safer in that room. You probably feel a little bit more secure. In the same way, when you start with who God is, you recognize that the biggest guy in every room is on your side. That the biggest guy in every room is for you. Because he is your dad. He is your papa. Right? When we pray, when we understand who we're talking to, when we understand how big he is, how holy he is. It pushes us on towards a life of transformation. And by the way, it also just puts our problems in perspective. You've got a really big God and a problem that seems really big unless you compare it to the really big guy in the room. You got a financial difficulty that seems insurmountable. Well, you happen to have a a guy in the room that thinks galaxies into existence. It's probably going to be okay. It puts things in perspective when you start with who. That's the first thing that we see, right? Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And then he goes on. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is the second thing I want you to write down. When you pray like Jesus taught, you pray for his kingdom and you surrender yours. You pray for his kingdom and you surrender yours. See, it's not just a prayer of recognition. It's not just recognizing who God is. It's a prayer of surrender. It's surrendering our will. Before I get to my needs, my wants, my greeds, my wishes, no matter what your answer is, God, I want what you want more than what I want. I want your way more than I want my way. I surrender my way no matter what your answer is. Because your kingdom comes before my kingdom. Your will is better than my will. Right? You know, um, the point, and by the way, this is really the point of prayer. It's not just to talk to God about stuff. It's to get your heart aligned with the heart of God. The more you spend time with prayer, the, the more you can understand, like, this great, amazing picture of how Jesus does this, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, we get the greatest picture Of surrender. Jesus comes. He's faced with death. He's faced with the abandonment of of his friends. He's faced with the cross. He's faced with torture. And he says, I want another way. If there is any other way, let's do it that way. But your way before my way. Your will above my will. Your kingdom above. Above my kingdom, it becomes easier to do this when we really, when we understand our relation to God, right? When we understand who we're talking to, when we begin, our Father. Well, what does that mean? We're the kid, we're the child, right? When my son asks me, you know, um, for a throwing dagger so he and his sister could do something, I don't give it to him. Okay, um, it's just really that simple. When my daughter asks for a fork to stick in the electrical socket. I don't give it to her, right? (laughs) My kids don't ever ask for these things, but I'm trying to come up with ridiculous things, right? But think of the things that they do ask for, that our kids do ask for, right? I I wish I got everything I wanted. No, you don't. You'd be a spoiled brat and I'd hate you. I mean, I'd love you, but I wouldn't like you, right? Right? What's the difference, right? Her six year old perspective, my thirty perspective. Um, you know there's a there's a big difference in perspective. And so if if there can be difference in perspective and, and I can make good choices for, for my kid, how much more can a perfect Heavenly Father give and not give? appropriately for you. See, God's point when it comes to surrender is not to be, you know, not to be um, a control freak, right? That's not his point. God's point is always your best and his glory. Your best and his glory, right? And he knows better than you about what you need unless what you want is what he wants for you. I know that's confusing. I'll say it again. He knows better What you need, than you do, unless what you want is what he wants for you. See, unless our will is aligned with God's, our desires, our pursuits will be off. Off of what? Off of his abundant life that he gives, his abundant life that he offers. When we pray like Jesus taught, it's this process of surrender. And this isn't easy, right? It's not easy to surrender. We are very victory-driven people, right? That's why we love every movie when it's like, no retreat, no surrender. You know, like, I'm storming the gates. For sure in real life you die, okay? Um, But in the movie you didn't. You know, we love that. Why? Because we love victory. But in the kingdom, it's not about our victory. It's about a better victory, his. And his accomplished in us day in and day out. And our ability to surrender will be directly related to how much we trust our dad. Not our earthly father, our perfect heavenly one. How much we trust when we say, hey dad, I need to talk to you. We will surrender to the degree with which we trust. I'll say that again, we will surrender to the degree with which we trust. So he teaches us this way. The last thing he teaches us in this prayer, when we pray like Jesus taught, you're reminded of your dependency. You're reminded of your dependency. Man, if we don't like surrender, we hate being dependent. I don't want to be dependent on anyone for anything. You know, unless it's like free stuff all the time. And then I don't want to be dependent on it. I want to take it or leave it. I want to be in control of getting the free stuff. Right? The beauty of Jesus' model here that he's teaching us is he knows we have wishes. He knows we have desires. He knows we have, have wants. And he's always seeking our best in those, which is why sometimes the answer is no. right? And by the way, none of this comes from out of his desire to rule. Let me clue you in on a little secret. He's going to rule with or without you. That's Just gonna happen, right? It's not out of his desire to control your life. He's gonna, he has all authority. It's not out of some like, oh, I I need this extra control, right? What it is, is it's out of a desire. Why we move towards greater dependency is because as we do, we're reminded that we don't need to fear, that we don't need to live out of anxiety, that we don't need to make decisions based on what could happen, Instead, how we need to make decisions is, begins with knowing the biggest guy in every room is for me. And not only is he for me, he's with me. Not only is he with me, but for those who place their trust in Jesus, he's in me. Right? This doesn't come easy, though, does it? I want to be independent. So I create systems and structures to make me independent. I'll give God everything except my security. I'll give God all my life except the control over this thing here. This is mine. I am independent for this thing. See we're reminded of our dependency first and foremost, we're reminded of it because we're dependent beings for provision. That's the next thing you can fill in. You're reminded of your dependency and the dependence on God for provision and that's the, that's the next thing. Right? This is by the way, this is a prayer for our needs, not our greed's. By the way, it's for a one day at a time type prayer. Many of the first followers of Jesus lived hand to mouth right they they didn't have stockpiles of slush funds, all right this isn't how they lived in fact, um, if you're doing the prayer devotional this week, you read a, you read a, a scripture where pretty much all their slush funds they just gave them to the apostles and the apostles distributed it, distributed it so that no one had any need. I mean, the people lived in this kind of way of just throwing everything they had towards god and 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 the the truth is is that the reason they did that is because they understood something. They understood that it wasn't theirs in the first place, that they got it from someone. They were dependent on that gift for, in the first place, right? For me, I learned this lesson most um, in a small town in Central California called Ria Vista. And... Um, and Rio Vista, um, you know, is this uh, It's this small town that my wife and I moved to 10 days after we got married. After we got married, we, we packed up and moved 402 miles away from everything we knew, from a city of 200,000 people to a town that was the exact same square mileage size, but it had 4,500 people, where I kid you not, I saw a police officer pull over to, like, clean a kid's face off. Norman Rockwell... Okay, like it was still alive in this town. This still happens, not just in the Midwest, apparently, in California, right? We were charged with a task when we went there. We were hired to be the first youth pastors in the church's history of 110 years. So when we went there, there were zero kids in the youth group. By the time we left, every week, week in, week out, there were over 30 middle schoolers. Over the 20 months that we were there, over 20 kids gave their life to Jesus for the first time. It it was awesome. Now, between our two incomes, despite all that really great stuff, between our two incomes, we were $750 short every month. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Here's the point that I'm trying to get at with this illustration Guess what? I'm still here, I didn't starve. I didn't die because I didn't have every want and need or every want and desire that I had. We were short and it just ruined us financially. But somehow, some way, God continues to use that. And And what happened during that time was we learned that we're not even gonna eat unless someone gives us food. And food kept showing up. And the crazy thing is, Every bill got paid because checks would show up on our door or in our mail. I don't know how to explain it other than God was trying to teach me that I'm dependent because I wasn't going to learn any other way other than a four-by-four four to the face. It's true. If you know me, that's why you're laughing. Uh, see, it's, Jesus teaches this, this one-day-at-a-time mentality. Later in, in this sermon, in, in, the same, in the same area, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right. This is the life of a person who, who understands their dependence on God for provision. For me, this is especially um, poignant this week because uh, this week my wife and I and family, uh, and some of you guys with us, uh, celebrated uh, the daughter that none of you ever met named Emerson. She lived 65 days. And she taught me in 65 days that I don't have another day other than the one I'm in right now. That's all I have. I don't have anything else. And I'm dependent on whatever God's gonna do in that day that we call tomorrow because I cannot even fathom whether or not I'm gonna have it or not. I can't determine whether or not I'm gonna have it or not. I strive for independence so much but the truth is, every time I do, it ruins my life. And it, and it side rails what God's trying to build. Because when God has our full heart, he can do amazing things. And that, that fullness begins with an understanding of how dependent we are on God. Not only for provision, but we're also dependent in the next thing, um, for forgiveness. Right? The provision is give us our day, our daily bread. Then forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us or the, our debtors. Now, by the way, I just want to be really clear here. Jesus isn't teaching when you forgive others, you gain forgiveness from God. He's not like teaching like an earned earning system. Instead, what he's teaching is, is that a person evidences or shows how much they've been forgiven by how they forgive others. Or how much they live in the forgiveness of God by how they forgive others. If we tend to be a person who holds grudges um, and, 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 you know, rebukes relationships and, and pushes people out of our lives because of how they've wronged us, we don't understand how much we've wronged God. But when we understand the depth of our need for grace and mercy and forgiveness, then we understand how to forgive. See, when we're dependent on God for forgiveness, when we, when we look to God and say only there's no, there's no way I deserve this. There's nothing I could do to earn this. It's only out of your goodness. right? In the prayer journal this week, the affirmation was because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Because of his love and his mercies are new every morning. It's only because of that that I can get up and have a, have a, a day, any day. And it's because of, as Matt led us through, it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that I can live a life of forgiveness. See, when we confess sin to a forgiving God, we're empowered to forgive others. And as we forgive others, we're reminded, it's like a circle, we're reminded of how much we need to be forgiven. The last dependence that we see in the Jesus model and the next thing I want you to write down is this, is that we're dependents, or we have dependence on God for protection have yeah, dependence on God for protection, All right? He says, um, "You know, lead me. Do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil." This idea isn't that God's tempting you, right? The Scripture teaches us God doesn't tempt us, but it's that God would allow times of testing, times of trials, and if you're like me. Um, you, read, you read James and it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I read that like, okay, great. I need to figure out a way to consider it pure joy when I face them, but I am definitely gonna pray to not face them. I definitely don't want to go through them because when I go through them, I know God is going to take a piece of my heart and he is going to chisel it and it is gonna hurt. But I know it's gonna be so good. I don't, but I don't like the, the, the hurt. I just like what comes afterwards. See, we, we, we need to understand that, that when it comes to this, this changed life that we talk about all the time, living as transformed people, it's totally dependent on God for his protection in the midst of our shaping, in the midst of our trans, transformation. And then the second part of that protection is protection from the enemy, protection from the evil one. right? When we do find ourselves in a, in a situation of temptation and we rely on God in that moment, oftentimes we choose God. But when we find ourselves in a situation of, of temptation and presented with you know, uh, sin or righteousness, and we try to rely on our own strength to dig ourselves out of our temptation, we generally need to ask for forgiveness for it later. Because we're looking to the wrong source for strength. We're looking to the wrong person to be changed. Ultimately, this kind of prayer, those last, those last three things are this prayer for you're declaring your need for God and your dependency on him. See, we as a church, we wanna grow in this all the time, be known more and more as a people who are, de- who are dependent beings on God, who are changed because of what he's doing in our lives. And so how is this going to happen? What does this look like in your life? I want to just encourage you, really, the same challenge of last week. First and foremost, okay, if you didn't, if you didn't get one of these um, last week, that's okay. Just pick up this one. It has last week's and the next two weeks in it, okay? So, um, so you'll get this one today uh, and start it. It's just a devotional. It's 21 days to build a keystone habit, to build a habit that changes everything. I want to challenge you if you if you're like me and you didn't hit the hundred percent mark, don't give up. Just start with whatever day you left off of. There's a reason there's no dates in it; just days. Day one, day two, day three, day four. If you if you didn't do it four days, then you're on day four, or you know whatever day you, whatever day you stop. Just just start. Continue in it or start it. It's been so good for me. Um, I want to I want to encourage you to practice not only personal prayer but also. Um, community prayer. So whether that's, uh, I wanna, one, I want to challenge you to, to pray with your family, whether that's with your spouse, your kids, your, your, um, your life group. Uh, and, and real quick, just as a caveat for life group signups, um, if you want to have a keystone habit developed in your life, it's going to take more than your will and desire. It's going to take the power of God through godly people in your life. And so if you're not in a life group, go to the lobby after the service and, and, and sign up for one. It's gonna be great. The other way, so, so personal, um, corporate, you know, togetherness, community. And then the last one would be to see Satch in the lobby and sign up for an hour of prayer, coming here and praying to God. See, when we pray what we learn from today is that there's an order, there's a pattern, there's a priority. And the pattern is meaningful because it begins by majoring on the nature of who you're talking to and, and his kingdom interests, and it comes to our personal requests and needs secondarily. See, it starts with who God is, and it ends with your need for him, but in the middle is the tricky part. It's our will. Whose will will we follow? Will we hold on to our will or will we surrender to his? Will we hold on to our kingdom or will we surrender to his? The challenge today is when it comes to prayer, um, the the whole point of it is God, God wants you. That's it. He wants you. And so my challenge today, my, 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 um, my question for you is, two weeks into 2016, what are you holding on to that's keeping your will from aligning to his will? What are you holding on to instead of surrendering that's keeping you from joining God fully? Fully from not only praying the way he wants, but having that prayer be meaningful and truthful and living the way he wants. And so I'm gonna pray, and I'm going I'm just gonna ask you, uh, it, it, if you want to pray this prayer with me, we're just gonna close our eyes and, and bow our heads, and I would just ask you to, to, to hold out your hands as, as kind of a, a symbol. It's an outward posture of an inner posture, of an inner um, desire, and it's a way of saying, God, I want what you want. I want your will. So show me, God, what is keeping me from you? And so would you pray with me? God, the reality is we are, we, we can't even pray this and mean it without your help. We need your help so much to be transformed people that we need your help even to ask. And so God, we come to you exactly as we are, no little, no less. And we're asking you to, to help us see what is it that's keeping us from living the way of your will. God, teach us that now in this moment. Show us what that is so that we could pray and live as you taught.